0: Well, I enjoyed your singing this morning, it was lovely. Thank you again, Ruth, for those uh, fine selection of songs. We're thinking about those who are not able to be with us this morning, away working, and for various reasons, so we ask a very special presence of the Lord with them this morning. They'll be thinking about us, right? Some of them are traveling and vacationing in all parts of the world, some, some of them are away for educational purposes, some of them are just away for working purposes, so we think of them this morning. Now last Sunday morning, we, I ended with a kind of a phrase, and I'm going to go back and repeat that with you this morning. And the idea that we were talking about last Sunday morning was, in terms of the government of God and the kingdom of God, is that there are times when there are certain things that we're called upon to do, certain things that we're called upon to do, that only we can do, no one can do them for us we must do them. Then when we do those things that we can do that are pleasing to the Lord and that are at His, um, at His direction, then He does those things that we can't do. And the Bible is complete and filled with examples of this very truth. And until we do the thing that He calls upon us to do, then we do not see His intervention we do not see his works we do not see a manifestation of his power But when we do those things that he requires us to do we are yielding to his government yielding to his authority by doing this step by step it's it starts off with uh, doing the thing that we know that we should do a lot of times in life we find ourselves in circumstances where we're not able to do certain things on our own behalf for example if someone is um if someone is held under the power of an addiction, if someone's living in the power of an addiction, it could, be a sinful, it could be a sinful lifestyle or it could be an addiction of some kind. I don't want to be overly specific on that. I think you understand what I'm talking about. And people say, well, I can't free myself. I've tried and I can't free myself and I'm in a bondage and I can't extricate myself from the bondage that I'm in. I identify with Israel living down in Egypt in bondage and unable to leave and crying out to God for deliverance. and But no deliverance came. Eventually it would come. But they cried out for many years before the deliverance came. And so people find ourselves. Some, Maybe we have found ourselves in places like that. Maybe we're finding ourselves now in some way in our lives in a situation or circumstance like that. We can't extricate ourselves from something. We would like to be different from what we are, but no matter what we do, we're unable to. What the kingdom of God requires of us is not to do the thing that we're unable to do, but to do what we are able to do by increments, by stages, by steps. The Lord will say, do this. And then when we do that, then he does this. And then again, he'll say, now do this. And when we do that, something that we are able to do, then he will do that which we are not able to do for ourselves. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. I want to begin this morning and I want to read a passage of scripture from John chapter 2. John's gospel chapter 2. Perhaps you'd like to follow along with me. I find myself taking a little different tack, a little different course this morning than my plans didn't have any hard, fast plans uh, <laughs> this morning. We just want to do what is right. That's what we want to do. We want to do what is right. So that's our that's our goal. That's our objective in our prayer this morning. I'm reading a very familiar passage that involves Jesus attending a wedding in Cana of Galilee. We've read this many times. I want to con- I want to begin at verse five. When there is um, when it is known that there is a lack of wine for those who are attending the wedding. And the mother of Jesus comes to him and tells him this, and he has an answer for her that has perplexed us and many for many years. Uh, but I want to come after that, right after that to verse 5. His mother said to the servants, after she had had a conversation with Jesus, her son, This is what she said to the servants. She said, whatever he says to you, do it. So the mother of Jesus, Mary, is saying basically at this moment in time, I don't know what he's going to say to you. I don't know what he's going to say to you. But whatever you hear him say to you, do it. Not just do something, but do it. And it comes to me this morning that this is where we are. And this is where we are today, this morning. And it would be as if the Spirit of God, not just as if, but the Spirit of God is saying to us this morning, whatever He says to you, do it. And we need to separate those two words. Do it. Precisely it. Not something else. Not partially it. Not a part of it. Not half of it. Not more than it. But just do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. Now, if we say, but the Lord never speaks to me. Yes, he does. He absolutely does. There is not one of us here this morning that can say honestly that we do not know what is right for us to do that's sitting out right in front of us. That we have an understanding between that which is right and that which is not right. That which is right... We have an understanding and a comprehension and a clarity of it, because if the Lord has given that to us. Now, we, know, we might not know everything, and there may be a lot of questions that we have, but we know something. And the idea now, to come back to the text is whatever He says to you, do it, Do it." Now there were set there six water pots of stone. These were quite large says, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece, and Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. Now oh, here it is. Whatever he says to you, do it, right? So he said this. this is, these are his words. Fill the water pots. That means all six of them. It doesn't mean five of them. It means six of them. It means fill them. It doesn't mean put a little bit in them. It means fill them. So he said, fill this, the water part, the water pots with water. Now listen, this is what they did. It says, and they filled them up to the brim. They did it. They did exactly what he said. Now, how many times have we read this and or heard this passage read? Dozens, hundreds. We're not reading it this morning because we have not read it before. We're reading it together this morning because of the message and the Word of God that is contained and how that He would apply it to us today in this moment in time to us as an individual where we find ourselves. Because there's spiritual parallels and truth in here that applies to us this morning. We want to see the power of God. We want to see in our own day a manifestation of the government of God, the kingdom of God. We want to see wonderful things done that only the power of God can do. We want to see those things. We're full of thanksgiving for all the things that we do have and see. But down deep within us, within the heart and breast of every human being in this planet, there's a desire to see the handiwork and a manifestation of the power of God. This is the reason we love to travel and see majestic things all over the world is because we are seeing a handiwork of God and many of us before we became believers in Jesus we used to commune with God by going to waterfalls and great mountains and places like this or fishing at a stream or on a quiet still lake and we felt the presence there that we didn't know what it was. It was peaceful and quiet, serene and we love to commune and some people commune with nature thinking that that's all there is. What they're communing with is that which God has made, but not God himself. But we have a desire that goes beyond that, and that is to communicate with God himself, no longer just to commune with that which he has made, but to commune with him himself. Now Jesus is about to say something else. And Remember Mary had said, whatever he says, do it. And he said to them, draw some out now, draw some out now, draw out of the pots that you have filled to the brim with water, draw some out now, and take it to the master of the feast. Very important for us to see now, the back and forth here, the part that they could do, the part that had they not done, nothing miraculous would have occurred. Say, but they could not turn water into wine. They could not. And there are many things that we can not do. We need not preoccupy ourselves with the things that we can't do. Why do we talk incessantly about what we cannot do when we're not called to do those things? We're called to do the thing that we can do, and just the thing. And oftentimes it's something very simple. and Something very simple and right before us. Something as simple as filling a water pot to the brim with water. Something as simple as taking a dipper or a pitcher and taking some out of it. Something as simple as carrying that, what to you is water, to a certain person. But something's happening here. There's something miraculous that's happening. Something that's just profound that's happening here. And that's the kingdom and government of God. And those kind of things will happen now, right now, today. Not this specifically. But the hand of God will be manifested and we will say, the thing that I saw today could only have been accomplished by the power of God. No human being could do that. All these things are right there to occur. There is a calling that's coming to the Lord's people in a global way right now. And that is, whatever he says to you, do it. That's our subject this morning. Whatever He says to you, do it. Whatever it is. Now oftentimes when this happens, it seems to be something that He says to us, it comes to us as something that we have an obligation to do. So, well, how do I know? I don't hear voices. It will come as a, as a very strong sense and a knowing within yourself that this is what you are intended to do. You will know it It will be set apart in a way inside and uh, to you that you will know that it's an obligation that's placed upon you. This is right for you to do. And you will agree that it's right. And then what we do then is we begin to second-guess it and we begin to say, well, I don't know, that doesn't seem... We can think of any number of reasons why we shouldn't do that and why it's silly to do that or why that may be not God speaking to us. It's just our own idea and so on and so forth. Sometimes we talk ourselves out of that you see where the people here could have said he's, now, now see he's telling me to take this water to the and I've heard conversations here and I know they're out of wine and he's telling me to take this water to the master of the, of the feast and how silly am I when I take that water to the master of the feast and he's going to look at me and say did I ask you to bring me water? Now, I'm interjecting just for the purpose of saying there are all kinds of things that can mislead us and and, uh, persuade us that the thing that is set before us to do that we ought not to do it or that we should do it some other way. But the kingdom of God operates in this way, that whatever he says to you, whether you think that it's wise or unwise, makes sense or doesn't make sense, all of these things, whatever you think about it, As long as we have the persuasion that he has said, do this, then do it. It says, and they took it. In other words, they did it. They took it. They took that, which they knew to be water, to the master of the feast. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the servants knew, and they're looking at him, right? It says the master of the feast called the bridegroom. Called the bridegroom. And he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. and When the guests have well drunk or had sufficient, so that they really don't necessarily want any more. It says then he, um, then he puts out the inferior wine after that. He said, but you have kept the good wine until now. You've kept the most excellent wine to now. And he kind of, he wanted to know why. Why have you held back the finest until now? Why did you give us the inferior first? And why did you keep the finest until now? And those who gave him from the water pot, they knew. But he did not. It says this beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. Listen to this. And manifested his glory. That's what it is. And we want to see the manifestation of the glory of God. I do. I know you do. But we come back to our subject is whatever he says to you. Do it. It's an encouragement, isn't it? Whatever he says to you, do it. I had a number of things that I was going to share with you this morning, but I'm going to share perhaps none of those things, and I want to share this with you. I want to use this example, if I can. Just a little picture. You picture yourself as driving your car, and you come, to a, uh, you come to an intersection, and you see one of these triangular signs there, and you recognize this as a yield sign what does that mean to you it means to yield the right of way to other vehicles who are coming on the other thoroughfare highway responsibility and obligation to you when you're faced with the yield right of way sign is to do that it is to yield right away it says that the other traffic has priority over you right and when you see that other traffic in close proximity so that they might have some influence on, you might have some influence upon that movement of that traffic, then you have to yield. You know, this, the kingdom of God, what we're being called to do and what we're being reminded of is that the essence of the kingdom of God and what it really means to believe in order to be saved is to yield, is to yield the right of way to the authority of the government and kingdom of God. When they filled the water pots to the top with water, they were yielding to the Word. When they carried the water, taking some out from one of the water pots or several, and carried it to the master of the feast, they were yielding the right of way to the authority of the Word of God. And that's what we're called to do, to yield the right of way. There's a quotation that came into my hands. I'm going to read it without attributing it this morning. I will attribute it, attribute it at some point in time, but I just want you, you to read it without thought about, well, where did that come from? Who said that? Have you ever found a, I mean, if I were to say to you this morning that Adolf Hitler said something, he, he did not say this, if I were to say that Hitler said something, you know, none of us, very few of us would be inclined to accept it, even though I'm sure he was capable of saying some things that were accurate. So we have a tendency to then, if we are not accepting the source, we do not accept what comes from that source. I just want to ask you to think about the words. It says, It is never religion, it is never Christianity or doing the will of God that rends people asunder or causes that that deep uh, inner conflict about what is right and whether or not we should do this or whether we should not do that. It is never religion, never Christianity or doing the will of God that rends people asunder, but the conflict that precedes the full surrender of one's life. What the statement is saying is that before anyone surrenders their life to the authority of the kingdom of God, there's always an inner conflict. Always. It says it is a conflict that precedes the full surrender of one's life, one's heart, one's mind, and one's strength, and finances to the perfect will of God for the kingdom's sake. See, it's a surrender of all those things to the kingdom of God for the kingdom's sake. And there's always a conflict. The kingdom of God says to use your finances and your funds in this way. There's a conflict. But I have these other ways. And the kingdom of God says to change your mind or to break up the fallow ground of your heart. There's always a conflict. When our will is confronted on anything, there's always a conflict. But I want my way, I want my will. And there's always a conflict with the will of God. It says uh, continues and says, I pity very deeply those people who live in the constant turmoil of a call of God upon their lives without having the grace to make complete surrender. Now let me just read it again without commentary, just yet by itself. If I can refrain, I will. <laughs> it is never religion, never Christianity, or doing the will of God that rends people asunder The conflict that precedes the full surrender of one's life, heart, mind, strength, and finances to the perfect will of God for the kingdom's sake. I pity very deeply those people who live in the constant turmoil of a call of God upon their lives without having the grace to make complete surrender. And included in this statement is the idea. And I believe it's absolutely true that no one ever has followed the perfect will of God for their lives and no one ever will follow the complete will of God for their lives without a complete surrender of all of these things. It's impossible otherwise. And we say, why do we not see the things now that we read about in the scripture. Why do we not see them? Has God changed his mind on these things? Not one bit. It required complete surrender of the apostles. Do we think that Peter, Paul, and all the apostles did not completely surrender? We. The, the scripture tells us that they did. And they continued to do it. And there were times when there was a conflict within them. And to resolve the conflict, they needed to surrender and to yield and submit again to the will of God completely in everything, doing things that to them made no sense, doing things that offended their religious ideology that they had held and been taught from the time they were small children. My ways, when God said my ways, are not men's ways, and we've been taught by men's ways, there's going to be a conflict between what God tells us to do and what men tell us to do. It's impossible there would not be. What do we do? Let me come to a conclusion. I want to offer you a couple, of, a couple of things and then we're going to close. One is that, uh, as we know, nature... Let me just start this. You can finish it. Nature abhors a vacuum. Right? Nature abhors a vacuum. So, in other words, if we establish in nature, if in a vacuum, which means something in emptiness, void, empty, vacuum suggests the idea that void of, empty of everything. It's empty. And nature abhors that to the point of view that there will always be something will try to invade that vacuum. Something will try to gain entrance into that vacuum. I'll continue this thought, but I'll change my metaphors a little bit, or my examples a little bit. When the sun sets, when the sun sets in the evening, then little by little, gradually, what begins to happen is that darkness begins to preside. Darkness begins to rule. We say, well, why is the darkness ruling? Because the sun has set. And when the sun sets, the darkness presides and rules. We're living in an age when the sun is setting in many ways as far as the social dynamic is concerned and darkness is beginning to rule. If the Lord wills next week, I'll bring you an example from Exodus of the angel of the Lord. As the children of Israel were at the river, the Red Sea and about to cross and how the angel of the Lord who led them there changed his position from leading them to going to behind them. And the pursuing, let's just talk about this, and the pursuing Egyptian military and Pharaoh who were pursuing them. Then the presence, the manifestation of the presence of God took up residence behind the children of Israel and in front of the pursuing Egyptian army and manifested as darkness to the Egyptian army all they could see is darkness, 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 a deep darkness, and were not able to move. But to the children of Israel, it was a wonderful light. That's what's happening now. That's what's beginning to happen now. We'll talk about more. That's not my subject this morning, but I find it irresistible. This is what I want to say, that when the sun sets, darkness begins to preside, and when truth is rejected, error begins to preside and to rule. And all that is required for error to rule and preside is truth to be rejected and denied. And that's what's happened. That is happening now. And that must be understood. Because when the sun sets and darkness rules the next morning, lo and behold, there is the rising of the sun again. And as the sun rises, little by little, in direct proportion, the darkness recedes and submits and surrenders to the light of the new day. We ask the Lord for the light of a new day, spiritually speaking for us. So we can see souls saved and lives reclaimed for the kingdom of God before the end comes. I want to close with this thought. Since nature abhors a vacuum, and that when truth is rejected, darkness will preside. It wasn't long into the history of the New Testament church that error began to, truth began to be rejected. And error began to, and darkness began to uh, rule. And in that period of time, there came into the world and manifested into the world a whole new religious system and ideology. And what this new religious system, a new new religious ideology and so-called revelation was, one of submission, submit, submission, the very truth that was being ignored and rejected by the New Testament church, by the Christian churches. The idea that what is incumbent upon us is a surrender to the kingdom of God began to be laid aside. Believing became something different from submitting to the authority of God. It never is. never has intended to be. That submitting to the authority of God is believing. But that doctrine began to be laid aside. And as the doctrine was laid aside, along came this new religious system that called itself in Arabic Islam. And the meaning of the Arabic word Islam is submission, surrender to Allah and his will and to his ways and to his prophet. And I just want us to understand that what many of us see as a scourge upon the earth in these days has its origin because truth was rejected and laid aside And the very emphasis that should be the emphasis of the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ to submit and to surrender, when laid aside, became and has become the emphasis of the religion of Islam, which is to submit and to surrender. Can you see that? Can we see that? That is what has happened. And this will not be appropriately addressed. The belief of the Islamic doctrines and religion in the world will not be addressed until there's a restoration of the doctrines of the Scripture which is to submit to the authority of God and to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll close with this. I was contemplating, I was contemplating one of the, some of these uh, thoughts. I was sitting at home and in my chair and I was uh, contemplating and thinking about these things, meditating on them, Asking, you know, for enlargement on them from the Lord. It's very interesting sometimes how things will happen and they can happen and we don't even see them. As so I want to use this to encourage you to uh, carefully observe all the things, even the little things that happen in the week that lies ahead. Because in the most ins- insignificant little thing that happens in your life, if you're very careful and if you're looking and listening you know, don't try to be listening for something that's not there. We're not, we're not like that. We're not talking about anything like that. We're not talking about foolishness or anything like that. We're not talking about make-believe. We're talking about the absolute truth. So, it's contemplating the idea that do this and this will be done for you. That's when the phrase first came. You know, do you do this? And then this will be done for you. You do what you can do, and then the thing that you cannot do on your own behalf will be done for you. And my little dog, I'm going to call her my little dog now, this morning, because in many ways she is. (laughs) Little Tessie, who is past 16 years old. And she has loved us from the very first moments. And... um, she has slept with us on our bed from the time she came to our home, and in the morning she would come up and by the top of the pillow and she'd come up by my ear and she would you know make her presence known up by my head and ear and sniff my ear and you know just be there, and I would take her outside and you know all those things now she's sixteen years old, and there are things that she cannot do for herself anymore. So, for example, she cannot jump up into the chair that she loves to sit on in the living room. She can't jump up into the chair anymore. She has weakness in her back, in her hind legs. We do everything we can for her. While I was contemplating these things, you do this and the thing you cannot do will be done for you. Little Tessie walked around and she came over by her chair and she looked at me with that look. She just looked at me like this and she kind of woofed a little bit at me. (laughs) Woof! At me. And I sensed within me this. She is doing the very thing. The very thing that I'm talking to you about and showing you in the government of God. Your little pet dog is doing the very thing. She is doing what she can do. She is asking for you to do the thing for her that she cannot do for herself. And you will not deny her. You may sometimes wait a few moments because it's not convenient. You may lament it that I'm doing something, I'm busy with this. But she will look at you and she will say, I want you to act on my behalf. And I get up every time. And pick her up. And put her up on the chair. But until she does that, what she can do, I do not get up and put her up on the chair. She makes it known. She does the thing that she can do. And then I step in and do the thing for her on her behalf that she cannot do for herself. And as I was contemplating these things, that played out right before me. And it was, this is an example of what I am saying to you. I'll leave you with that thought this morning. The Lord bless you. Amen.